Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net and in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Before we wade too deep into this... Uh, Dude, I should have grabbed me a soda on the way. That's why. I well, I mean, uh, well, there's Mountain Dew and stuff inside. If you'd like to go grab a drink real quick, um, before we inside, the, inside, 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 yeah. Dive too deep into um, oh, hey, the bullshittery. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pour a little whiskey. That was probably too much whiskey. Um, that's actually one of my favorite uh, ways. If I'm not drinking whiskey straight, one of my things to mix, my favorite things to mix with it is ginger ale. Yeah. So on the Swanee trip last year, um, I bought a bottle of tin cup and with the fifth of tin cup came a two liter of ginger ale. And I told Jordan, I said, this is going to be a problem. And I drank (laughs) the entire bottle myself. And then he proceeded to uh, fall straight on my face. He proceeded to stop his fall with his face. Yeah, well, that'll happen on them bigger jobs, you know. At least, at least it was from a, it was from a seated position, and the GoPro caught it. Yeah. yeah so, it. Oh shit! There's All no right. denying it. Well, before we we get too much further into this, we've got to get uh, we got some small game hunts coming up, and oh, and on top of that, the Nation Group has hit two thousand members, so we've got a giveaway to do. Um, that'll be coming up here in the next couple weeks with the, the Garmin G- G- Garmin 64ST GPS and uh, a half a dozen tangle-free wood duck decoys, brand new in box. So I'll figure out a way to make that happen. We'll go live on our Facebook like we did uh, when we gave away. We did the rifle raffle and all the other stuff like that for the crawfish bowl back months ago. And um, we'll make that happen, get some stuff mailed out to people. That's right. But you said we've got a review. Oh, we've got a review. Where's my phone? Got a new review. We do, we do. Uh, I don't know who it is, but what's what's uh, the name? Here. Just. K K H H B H N. Really appreciate you guys. Thanks for spending so much of your time doing this podcast. You made great improvements to the sound, but none of that matters. What matters is your dedication to the perpetuation of outdoor activity. 
and I really appreciate the ability to turn on the podcast and listen to you guys and appreciate your love of the outdoors. It keeps me excited and motivated and gets me through a lot of projects and I might not otherwise want to do. Keep it up. We're listening. Five stars. That's why I gave you because... Uh, you didn't know how to pronounce perpetuation? Yeah, you didn't either for a minute. No, I had to figure out how to why I couldn't move it because I thought I was actually looking at it, but you screenshotted it and I chose to... It, was, it wanted me to delete the screenshot. Oh. So I was trying to figure out what the bottom of the screen yeah. was doing down there. I, I figured it out earlier, and then by the time I pulled it back up, I had forgot what the word was. So Perpetuation. Perpetuation, yeah. <laughs> I may be dedicated, but that don't mean I'm smart. <laughs> Can you spell dedicated? Nope. <laughs> 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 That's what it is. Dedicated to, uh, to these small game hunts we've got coming up. Yeah. So we're... December 2nd is the first one, I do believe. And that's in Seminole Ranch. Not Seminole Forest. I see a lot of people, I, I want to make sure we're clear in that, that Seminole Ranch and Seminole Forest are two very different places. Yeah. In more ways than one. Um, Seminole Ranch is down around Christmas, Florida, and Seminole Forest is more around Sanford, Florida. So... And at Seminole Ranch, we'll be chasing more upland game birds and things of that nature. Whereas at Seminole Forest, that'll be true what you would think of small game squirrel hunting rabbits, but you can still definitely get on some doves and yeah, everything else out there. Ducks out there if you ever manage mm-hmm. to find them. They're there. They are definitely are there. But so that one, and then we uh, take our trip out of state. We're going up to Towns and Wildlife Management Area in Ludwisi, Georgia to do a small game hunt up there. That wasn't far from where you were at. It was a little north of where you were. You were in Kingston for that at that time period, weren't you? Glencoe. Uh, so that's like over by uh, St. Simon's Island. Yeah, it's near Kingston. Yeah, near Kingston. Yeah. Uh, it's a little, little north of it, but yeah. That would Same be area. Yeah, Ludowissi's not. <laughs> I bet it's within an hour, hour and a half maybe. But we're going to go up there and do a small game hunt over New Year's weekend, do a small game camp, as we're calling it, because we're going to be there uh, through the weekend, Saturday to Monday. I'll be driving up Friday night um, when I get off work, camp out there in the primitive camping area, which is a beautiful area to camp. And uh, it's going to be a dang good time. Looking forward to it. That it is. And then we round out the year in Seminole Forest. It's probably one of my most favorite ones. We've been small game hunting Seminole Forest for as long. I mean, I think the the first time we went, really went out there and and actually dedicated small game hunting was when me, you, and Ian ate that possum. I say it's coming up on probably close to twenty years we've been hunting. Out yeah, there. so it's a lot of fun. I really like that area. But this week we're here to tell a little hunting stories. That's all there is to it. So uh, if you're not driving or at work, uh, my best advice to you right now is to sit down with your beverage of choice, uh, put on your knee-high boots, um, because there's a good chance that shit's going to get a little deep. Uh, But I'm joined. So I'm your host, Will Krebs. I got Jordan here with me this weekend. I'm here. Let's get it. And I got uh, Mikey Hanshaw. Mike Hanshaw. All the way from Washington State. Yes, sir. And uh, we got some very recent hunting stories to tell. Yeah, we're going to let Mikey go first. (laughs) 
So you shot a bull elk. Yeah, Roosevelt bull elk. It's a Western Washington public land over the counter hunt. Um, I've been uh, actually really putting effort into chasing elk. This is my third year. And first year, you know, I, uh, it was mostly all learning experience. I didn't, I got kind of close to some elk and I saw some sign, but I didn't actually see any. And then last year um, I hunted during rifle season which is in like the second week of November. And, uh, that's, that's after the rut. So, uh, I don't know how much anybody knows about elk, but they, they change their behavior quite a bit different than deer do. So that, you know, the elk, the bull elk will, uh, get with his cows, get his harem together during the rut. And then he'll stay with them until none of them are hot anymore. And the rut goes off which is usually about mid-October, mid to late October, then they, the bulls will go off by themselves down in these deep, dark timber bottoms and basically you know, lay around and recover from the rut because they've just been running around like crazy and they're all skinny and whatnot. Anyways, last year I got close to two bulls during rifle season, and it was just um, – I don't know how to explain to somebody on the East Coast what I mean when I say thick – what I'm talking about the woods, but cause it's, it's not like I, I've gone to the woods on the East coast with some other people and they told me it was thick and I got in there and kind of laughed because when I say thick, I mean like can't see, you know, more than 10 yards in front of you thick. So it was too thick. I couldn't get shots. Then this year I went back to that same area where I saw those bulls and Opening day, my cousin and I were out there. Uh, I got camp set up the night before and got settled in. And I didn't quite have time uh, to get out and scout that night. But my cousin spotted some elk at about 8.30 in the morning after he had dropped me off and I was walking through a big timber bottom. All right, let me stop you there for just a second. Okay. Because I got a couple questions. Okay. What What does it take to... Is this a draw hunt or is this just over the counter as a resident? Nope. Uh, even non-resident. Um, like if you wanted to come to Washington, I would not recommend it. I'm going to start by saying that because, uh, (laughs) it is, it is challenging. And what you, what, what people see, uh, you know, like Corey Jacobson and Randy Newberg, all these guys that are killing bulls, uh, those are Rocky mountain elk. So we're hunting Roosevelt elk and they're, uh, when you when you dream about that big you know 300 class bull you're just not going to find that in a roosevelt i mean once in a great while you might find one but they're pretty common amongst rocky mountain elk Uh, roosevelts don't get that size as far as inches just because they're like i said they're in the thick stuff and they're real tight timber so their their antlers actually grow a lot more narrow than uh their spread is a lot more narrow than a Rocky mountain elk would be, which hurts them when it comes to scoring, you, you know, know, cause that, that widest, that widest part measurement really suffers. I, I've noticed, uh, something similar to that when it comes to white tailed deer, <clears throat> I've killed deer in areas where the woods were, um, thicker and just nastier altogether and not necessarily uh-huh. like that year round, but in the summertime when they're growing antlers, 
Uh, and then the wintertime, you know, everything dies off and it kind of thins out a little bit. You can see better. It's still fairly thick, but you can actually see because nothing has leaves. Um, but they have a tend to have a tall rack and not necessarily a wide rack. Uh-huh. And yeah, we have a... Sorry. No, you're good. Like like the one Jordan just shot in the thicker woods. It wasn't very wide, but no. what was the tall... What, what would you say, say his tallest point was? Lengthwise. No man. Nine, ten inches? From, from the base of his head to the top of his horns was at least 14, if not more. So tall buck, but not a wide buck. Yeah. Taller than he was wide. Oh, for sure. 100%. Like you look at the buck on the wall back here that Jim shot, he's a lot wider than he is tall. Yeah, my deer's a lot taller than that. Right. Yeah. But. It also says, though, right here that uh, the Roosevelt elk, body mass-wise, are the largest of the elk species. <clears throat> oh, so So that, yeah, that's definitely accurate, which is why, you know, especially for a lot of us that um, – hunt more for meat than anything else um that's a big plus like sure we don't shoot a lot of roosevelt bulls that are those 300 class bulls like the rocky mountain elk over in idaho and colorado and all that stuff but uh, but like you said body mass wise even a even a raghorn like three three point or uh, you know four point bull and i need to i need to make a uh, <laughs> i need to make a note here on on the west coast, we don't count both sides. So when I say a three point <laughs> bull, I mean what you guys would call six points. So uh, and it's that way just because that's how our regulations read, um, which is why there's a I don't I don't know where that started, but I just know that that's why there's a distinction there. But anyways, <clears throat> yeah, that that those little raghorn bulls that you know they're not the big herd bull. That's um, he, they kind of get they kind of get on the rut last because they got to wait for the big boys to do their thing and then they can come in and um a cow a cow might be bred by i mean six bulls you know like it it, so so they just kind of you know it starts with obviously the most dominant alpha male animal and then it kind of goes down the chain from there that makes me wonder and that's something i have to ask biologists but when we spoke with uh, Lindsay Thomas of the National Deer Association, he told us that, and I don't know if you knew this, but a white-tailed deer that has twins, quote-unquote twins, most, the majority of the time, both of those fawns, are, they don't have the same father. Mm-hmm. I've heard that as well about blacktails, so... I just wonder if elk must- can be the same way. Of course, I don't think you probably see many elk with twins, do you? No, uh... I mean, a, a cow, I don't think uh, she'd fall over if she was trying to carry <laughs> twin elk, you know? Because <laughs> even a calf elk, a newborn calf elk, you, you imagine seeing a, a beef cow have a have a calf, you right. know? Like that, that's the size of animal you're talking. So right. two of them is, uh, is going to be too much probably. I'm, not that it doesn't happen. I'm sure it could happen, and I'm sure it has happened. But <clears throat> um, so I don't know what – I don't know what the – You'd have, like you said, we'd have to talk to a biologist. I don't know what the um, what the outcome is from a cow being bred by multiple bulls. I just know that's um, that's how it goes. But 
So back to it. Sorry, I interrupted you a couple times there. So um, I, I kind of skipped over something I wanted to mention as well, which was that I, I feel like I feel like to to appreciate what's what what goes on here in Western Washington. I want to explain kind of the areas that we hunt and how we generally hunt the animals because it's very different. Like you almost never see a tree stand. Uh, in Washington state, maybe on the east side where it gets open a little bit more and stuff. But on the way in Western Washington, as I said, the woods are so thick. I mean, it's, it's just, and, and the uh, environment, the type of forest, right? So there's water just about everywhere. Cause it rains like crazy here. So they don't have to go. This is, this is deer or elk. They don't have to go anywhere to get water. They don't have to go anywhere to get food because not too far from, you know, let's say they're in some of those big timber stands that are dark and kind of looks like a park. It's real open in there. They don't have to go, but maybe a couple, a thousand yards, a couple thousand yards at the most to get into a, um, like a clear cut where they'd logged or, uh, some small, we call them jack firs, but the small fir trees that are only about six feet high and all that undergrowth grows up and they can eat that. So they, they don't have to travel a whole bunch. Um, so, as I said, we hunt we hunt those uh, elk in the clear cuts because in the mornings they go in the timber where they're secure at night, and then uh, and in the early morning and at night they uh, they stay in the the timber and then feed out into the clear cut and they uh, they go to that timber for safety and security, but. Anyways, back to back to where we where I left off with the the hunt there. So my cousin spotted the elk 8:30 in the morning after he dropped me off and I was walking through some timber. He texted me but, you know, we're way out at sight of cell phone service, so I didn't get the message. So when I met up with him uh probably about noon or so, he told me he showed me a picture that he took of this bull and the logging road kind of followed that ridge, the side of the ridge that he saw those elk on. And the logging road kind of goes out and around the end of the ridge onto the back side of that ridge where there's a big clear cut. And uh, um, so I, my, what I was thinking is they were going to hang out in the, uh, in that, on that ridge side that we saw them on and get into the trees and bed down for a while and then they were going to feed up and over so the next day first light which was about 7 15 sure enough i go on that logging road go on the other side of that ridge and i see these like nine or ten cows with this bull and um i was muzzleloader hunting but i i got i got on the road and i'm looking down into the clear cut and these elk i range them and they're at 230 yards and my two options basically at this point are to try to go into the clear cut, which is full of sticks and whatever else, you know, you can't walk through it and without making noise. So I, I can't go over the edge down into the clear cut. That's but I'll bust them out if I do that. So I just got a good solid rest and took a 230 yard shot with the muzzleloader. Um, and I hit the bull 
about four inches back from where I wanted to. If you imagine looking at the bull broadside, I hit like the middle of the middle where you'd want to shoot a bear, not more forward where you want to shoot a deer or an elk. But the crazy thing was I shot, I hit him, and he didn't even move. He didn't flinch. He didn't hunch. He didn't do nothing. He just stood there. And the cows all just stood there too. Now, how far was he? 230 yards. That's a pull. And I, I was shooting, uh, I was shooting 275 grain, 50 caliber bullets with, uh, 90, 90 grains of powder. And like you said, yeah, it is a poke. And I knew that, but if these, if I let these elk go out of this clear cut down into the trees that are at the timber, that's at the bottom of the clear cut, I knew I was never going to see him again, or it's, it was going to take days for me to find him again. So, <clears throat> let me clarify. That is not by any means a shot that I wouldn't take. I'm just saying, <laughs> with a, with a muzzleloader, like I'm going 230 yards, man, that's a poke. Because you, you're looking at, it's, it's like, only thing I can think to compare it to is like shooting a, a 12-gauge slug gun. You're, you're shooting a big piece of lead. And, you know, you shoot a rifle and 100 yards, 200 yards, it's nothing you really have to think about. When you're shooting a muzzleloader, 100 yards, 200 yards, you're talking 15, 20 inches of drop sometimes, depending on, you know, bullet weight and powder charge and all kinds of crap like that. And that's just, and I say that's a poke because you're not looking at shooting a 30-06, you're not looking at 15 inches of drop until you're out probably 350 yards. Yeah. 300, 350 yards. So. Right. But and that and I noticed you were shooting open sights too. Well, yeah, and that's what complicates things about Washington with a muzzleloader as well is the our regulations require us to have iron sights. Right. You can't have any kind of optic or um you could put like a peep sight on there. Uh you could you know, you can change out your irons, but they have to be some kind of iron sights. Oh, I would much and, rather shoot a peep than a blade sight. <clears throat> right. And <clears throat> so <laughs> I don't own the muzzleloader. It's my uncle's muzzleloader, right? So I, uh, I'm getting ready to uh, go on a deployment before elk season starts. So I had to hunt muzzleloader this year. That's the only right. reason I did it. So my uncle lets me borrow this muzzleloader. Well, not only does it have the regular E-type uh, iron sights, like uh, on a traditional rifle, but they're also fiber optic. So at 230 yards them fiber optic sights are washing out a lot of my target. You right. know, it's like if you had a, if you had an aim point red dot sight and you crank it, crank the brightness up too much. Right. It's, it's the same thing going on. So there was a lot of guesswork on my part. Uh, and I, I'm, uh, I obviously wish I would have hit the vitals, but I was still pretty proud of myself that at 230 yards, I was able to make a quick calculation in my head and, and not being able to see exactly aim aim small right i was right. kind of aiming at the animal in general because of, of the target washout anyways <clears throat> um oh and another complication so the road i was shooting on it was a real steep um a real steep angle down into this clear cut and the road was probably um if you were to draw, if you were to you know draw a line from the back of the bull up to level with the road, that's probably somewhere in the ballpark of fifty yards. 
40 yards. So that gives oh, you an Lord. idea of how steep it yeah, was. Yeah, you're shooting a, a, a dang near straight down. It yeah, seems so like, yeah. So that's the so that's another part of the equation, right? Yeah. I'm I'm making this quick uh calculation in my head, rough estimate of where I need to aim. So I, just, I know I'm shooting at a steep downhill angle. I know that I know that to comp that I need to compensate for that. And I know that there's gonna be a bunch of drop on the bullet if I was shooting in a straight line. So I basically just held it on his back. You got Rain Man over here using Pythagorean theorem to figure out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen to this. When you're in high, if you're in high school right now, and you think I'll never use geometry, wrong. Yeah, you know? <laughs> big facts. Yeah. So, and and part of that, you know, I'm 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 accustomed to doing that because other hunts I go on, like bear hunts and stuff. I hunt the high country, and there's a lot of steep angle shots that I take with my rifle right which is very different but but i'm used to having to compensate for that that's those steep angles because you know it's not flat here at all anywhere so anyways i take this shot hold it on his back and hit the middle of the middle but like i said he didn't even react the cows didn't react they just kind of stood there and the cows kept feeding so i loaded another round um I'm not real proud to say this. I saw I shot five more times. Hey, you got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> but they, so mind you, I'm shooting a muzzle loader. So those elk stood there long enough for me to reload five more times after the first shot. Two. They didn't do anything. They didn't run. They didn't nothing. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. You don't. It's definitely not typical. I Normally, need- when you shoot, you know they're in the next county. I need that uh, that sound effect from SpongeBob. Two hours later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And not so, to mention, man, like I, I wish you did you did you get a video of me trying to reload that muzzleloader after I shot that buck last year? And you just hear the rod going. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think down I the, do. Down the barrel. It, it sounds like somebody's shaking a maraca over there, <laughs> trying to get the ramrod back down the barrel as you're just shaking because you're so excited. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, I, I had my, you know, I had my bag. Uh, I have a little, looks like an old school bino, um, like bino pouch, just with a flap over the top. And I had a bunch of plastic uh, preloaded charges in there. You know, it's got the the ball on the top and the powder on the bottom. So all you have to do is open the bottom part, pour the powder, put it on the barrel, open the top, and push the bullet in. Well, <clears throat> something else that I found out the hard way is you always want to have a starter. Uh, so there's a, there's a little, it's a little rod with a wooden ball on the end and it's to get you started in that first part of the barrel. Cause once you get the bullet past like the first, you know, two, three inches of the barrel, it'll slide down fairly easy. Cause I, sh- I shoot sabots. Right. So that plastic jacket catches on the lands and grooves and man, I had a hell of a time because I just had my ramrod and I, I got the muzzle loader in the bank of the dirt and I'm like both hands on top of it, all my might trying to trying to get this damn bullet started in the top of the barrel anyways it was it was a it was a whole ordeal but i ended up reloading five times shot five more times and uh i didn't hit him again uh the range they moved a little bit um you know a a few yards so the range changed a little bit and i even moved positions which hindsight being 2020 um 
I don't think I should have moved because I had a really good rest when I took that first shot. I was nice and solid. And the spot I moved to, I was worried about moving too much further because I didn't want them to see me and spook and all this stuff. So, um, anyways, yeah. So I, I, uh, I took more shots and I didn't hit it again, but they finally kind of meandered their way down to the bottom of the clear cut there and went into, uh, what we call reprod. Those are about 20 foot tall fir trees. So you can walk in there, uh, and the elk love it because the trees are just tall enough where the limbs are high enough where they can walk through it. But it's super, again, it's super thick in there and they're protected. So, um, so when they wandered into the reprod, we just picked everything up and went back to camp and gave it about three hours. Uh, cause the last thing I want to do is get in there and, um, bump an injured bull. Cause who knows how guys that bow hunt know about that. Like if you, you put an arrow in a deer, you don't want to go chasing right after them cause you'll bump them and who knows if you'll ever find them. So, uh, yeah, so we went back to camp and, um, my, another buddy of mine that I was waiting on, uh, showed up and him and I went back down into the clear cut. Oh, that was about 11, 15 or so. And I, I took the shot at seven I'll say you shot this bull pretty early then in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, we first saw him at 7.30, and by the time I could actually get a shot off, it was 7.40. And then about 8.20, we went back to camp. And then probably 10.45, we started heading back out to that clear cut. And um, by, yeah, by 11.20, we found – we got down into the clear cut and got to where I thought I shot uh, – took the shot on the bull – and we found some blood, um, but it wasn't a lot. It was like a probably three-quarter inch diameter stick with about a six-inch long section of it that was had blood on it. it um, so <clears throat> I knew what way they went because I had watched them in the morning after I shot. So we've kind of followed that trail and found a couple more like small spots, you know, I don't know, maybe a teaspoon here and there or something of blood walked into that reprod and my buddy and I wandered around in there for, Oh, I don't know, man, long time wandering around. And after we were in there for about half hour, uh, we got, I think about 75 yards or so away from some elk and we bumped them. But when we bumped them, they didn't run, you know, we could hear them walking cause it, with an elk, when it's walking through the woods, I mean, you you, you can't miss it. You they're know, not a quiet. So, yeah, there's no way they can be a quiet <laughs> creature. Not in thick woods. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're super super loud. So, so we get we get like I said, I'm guessing about 75 yards away from them, and we bump them and they walk a little bit. So we stopped and we waited. Then we try. Then we followed the direction they went. Ran into them again, and this must have happened three or four times where we'd bump them a little bit, and they'd kind of just wander a little bit more. And um, so I, I told my buddy finally, I was like, you know, I don't know if this bull is in this group or not, 
I don't know how, you know, he could be laying down somewhere. He could be still with them. Uh, we just didn't know. So the safest bet was to back out again because uh, I didn't want to bump him. So um, backed out, went back to camp, and, you know, had made dinner and drank some Keystones and the things that we do at camp. But then woke up next morning, 530, <clears throat> uh, got back out to the clear cut at first light, and I was hoping – that those cows would have wandered back into the clear cut and that would tell me if the bull was with them or not. And I know if he wasn't with them, I would know he's dead somewhere. Well, of course they didn't come back into the clear cut that next morning. So that day, this, my, that same buddy, his name's Tony. So Tony and I went back in where we went the day before to look for him again. And we never bumped them anymore. We followed their trail. Um, and also, it's I, I want to mention, so when, when an elk leave, when a group of elk leaves a trail, I mean, it looks like you took a damn rototiller to the forest floor. It, it's, it's not like you can't notice. I mean, they just tear the shit out of the ground, especially when they're moving and they're going somewhere. Um, so we followed it, followed it, followed it. <clears throat> and kind of just eventually um, got back to the same spot we were the day before and couldn't find them. And my bu- both my buddies, uh, Tony and the other guy's name is Leaf that was with me when I first shot it. Tony and Leaf had to leave uh, in the middle of the day because they had family obligations or whatever. So <clears throat> they left, and I went back out at about – I don't know, 1400 or so, two o'clock in the afternoon, back up to the landing where I saw where I could look down that clear cut. And I just sat there and glassed. Well, about 45 minutes, here comes a bear walking across the bottom of the clear cut, going right into the reprod where the elk went. So I'm thinking, okay, he's probably smelling this dead bull and he's going to go eat my bull. Well, I had my rifle with me, my 300. And of course, he, that bear was moving, not running, but he was moving with a purpose. So by the time I could get the rifle out and get around it and all that, I just barely missed getting a shot at him. Also, bear was bit. open too. Oh yeah, bears open in Washington from uh, August first through November. See, you're talking 15th. about going to North Carolina to hunt bear. Screw that. Let's go to Washington and hunt bear. Yeah, yeah. Cost wise. Uh, it's cheaper for me to go to North Carolina. It's not nearly as fun, though. No, no, I'd rather go hang out with Mikey and shoot bears. But right, yeah. On a Just side saying. note, if you guys ever want to, I would love to take you guys on a backpack, like a backcountry bear hunt. Oh, um, dude, they're so uh, much dude, yeah, fun. Dude, I would. You're, I would you're over here that. talking about how like these elk live in thicker country, and I'm looking at these elk on the on the laptop here. And you're like, you know, they live in thick country. I wouldn't suggest coming here because it's hard. And I'm like, listen, all you're doing is talking me into it. If you're telling me it's, gonna, <laughs> if you're telling me it's going to be a shit show and I got to work hard, sounds like a plan. Let's go. It's uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, you say it's expensive. Right? Is it cheaper to go to North Carolina to hunt bear? Yeah, sure, maybe a l- a little bit. Yeah, but not considerably cheaper. And I can tell you. Mike makes it a is considerably mean, cheaper because I'm drink a lot more. Mike, yeah, well, Mike, <laughs> but he makes a mean goose pastrami. Oh, 
I did find a BB yeah. in that, by the way. I thought you might. I look, <laughs> I, I tried real hard, but you know, you shoot them critters with a shotgun. Them I was I was slicing it. I was slicing. I was like, "What the heck is the knife?" And I pulled it out, and there's a BB in there. I was like, "Yeah, okay, that's fair." <laughs> um, but. Yeah, no, I we got to get out there and hunt with you guys. Back back to your story. Sorry, I, I got into the you got you got me with the bear. You, you've piqued my interest. It's really it, it really piques my interest to bear hunt uh, because here in Florida we have so many bears uh, and we can't do anything about it yet. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that bear and I I'm thinking in my head, you know, okay, the bull's dead in there and he's going to have a free snack. So, um, I was planning on. Uh, then I, I saw the bear. I didn't want to go in there <clears throat> right away. With uh, I wanted to wait a little bit. And long story short is, <clears throat> after waking up super early a few days in a row, I ended up taking a nap in my truck. So I took a nap in the truck, and I had to go get fuel and <clears throat> get some more stuff for camp anyways. Uh, so I went into a town not too far away from where I was camping and got gas, and I came back. And I was planning on going back up to the clear cut for the evening to see if those elk would come back out. But on my way into the road to get back where the clear cut was, I see this uh, Honda Passport driving towards me. And his front passenger tires just shredded. And he's basically driving on the rim. I stop and ask if he needed help. Turns out it was two Marine veterans. So I had tools in my truck. Of course they needed help. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So uh, I was happy to be able to help out some fellow veterans and stuff, but I helped them get their tire changed. By the time I was done screwing around with all that, it was way too late to get up there. So I just went back to camp, and I I was by myself at this point because my buddies had gone home. So that was a long night of sitting at the fire, looking at the fire, replaying in my head every scenario. You know, could could I have moved somewhere else before I shot the first time? could I have done this or that or the other thing, you know, just all kinds of second guessing going on. I, I just want to point out before you go any further, there's just another example of the army saving the Marines. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I get back to camp and I'm sitting at the fire at night, man. And I'm just like second guessing everything I've done at this point. And, uh, <clears throat> one of the, but one of my buddies that had got, gone home leaf, uh, he sends me a text and he's like, Hey man, he's like, I took tomorrow off. My wife's cool with me coming back out and let's go down and really spend a lot of time looking for that bear and the, or that elk and that reprod. So I was like, cool. And that kind of gave me a, a breath of fresh air and some hope, you know? So we, so up to this point, it's been like sunny every day and sunny and like 70, which for, for early October in Washington is is very abnormal. Usually during elk season or October from like mid September on, usually it's just pouring. And um, so it's sunny, and then Leaf comes back on Tuesday. He gets there early in the morning, and it is just dumping buckets on us. So, you know, we him and haw around and want it. We drive around like, Oh, maybe let's make an excuses basically to not have to go out in that rain. So right. we drove around and looked at a few more clear cuts. Well, maybe they went over this Ridge and maybe they went down into this clear cut. Let's go look at that. And 
So we dinked around doing that. Um, about nine, about ten fifteen that morning, um, we it the rain lets up a little bit, and finally we were like, it's not going to get any better. We might we might as well just go and you know spend some real time looking for this. So what's the temperature wall. this whole time? Uh, once it started raining, it probably dropped to about fifty or so. I would so it's guess. fairly warm. Yeah, it's. It, it, yeah, it has not gotten cold at all. Even at night, it has not gotten real cold this whole time, which is also – so we have a couple things working against us at this point. One, he's gut shot, and he's going to go septic, which is going to lead to some meat loss if you don't get to him right away no matter what you do. Right. On top of that, it's not been real cold. Um, at night, it was probably getting, I would say, into the 40s, but – which is which would actually be fine. Uh, you you would still lose some, especially uh, with an elk. The first places you lose is those uh, right in those hip joints. All that meat, like your your round round steaks and all that kind of stuff, you lose a lot of that if you don't get to them right away because that heat just stays in there. Right. And an elk hide is thick. I mean, like it's not like a deer hide. You know, it's like probably two three times as thick. So that really insulates them and, and keeps that heat in. But <clears throat> we get down there and um, we start poking around and uh, we just start zigzagging through this reprod and uh, about 1130, Leaf goes, Mike, he's right there. And I thought at first that I was in disbelief, you know, because we've, we've spent so much time. I, I don't know if I've done a good job of, of capturing in this story just how much time and how many miles we've put on the boots and you know we're all sore because you're not you're not walking on flat ground you're walking in the country where the elk live which is nasty that i i have an immense respect for elk because of the terrain they live in you know it's just like hills steep hills everywhere they don't just, do anything that's easy. Just to be clear, though, at this point, you're now on to day two or three. Yeah, so I shot it Sunday morning. This is Tuesday morning. Right. And I have spent, this is this is about the ninth or tenth hour of looking for this bull. Like, at, when I say looking for him, I mean being in the reprod and traipsing around in the woods. And um. I'm sorry, I'm going to back up real quick because uh, something else I did on Monday. So usually a wounded animal will go to water. So in the bottom of this, off the back of this reprod, this reprod was on kind of a knob on top of a hill. On the, in the bottom of it, there's a creek down there. So I walked down to that creek and uh, probably about a mile, I'm guessing, is about how long this creek is. And I walked the bank from one end all the way to the other, just making sure he didn't go down there and lay down by the water. Um, so yeah, to just my point is that I, I spent a lot, I put a lot of miles on my boots and spent a lot of time looking for this thing. And we get in there and Leaf says, Mikey's right there. And I step forward and I see him and you know, I go crazy and we both are haul hooping and hollering and stuff. And, um, uh, I went from being really discouraged and, you know, the, 
the feeling that we're not going to find him had set in about an hour ago at this point. And um, we found him. And so we get, I get up to him and, um, you know, I grabbed the antlers and, and moved his head. And as soon as I did that, it just was like a bunch of air escaping out of oh, his mouth. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, Oh shit. You know, he's full of gas. And <clears throat> then, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to peel the back strap out because if there's any piece of this that's going to be okay, it's probably going to be the back strap because right. it's, it's not as well insulated as anything else, and it's the, the rib cage is separating the guts from it, so maybe it's all right. I grabbed the hide. I, I went to grab the hide, and I grabbed a chunk of hair, and all I came back with was a bunch of hair. So the hair is already slipping. Oh, yeah. No, so that's, that's also a bad mm-hmm. sign, right? So I finally get get my knife in there and get him split open and peeled out the back strap, which um, just to just to kind of capture how much meat there was on this critter, uh, I held it at my chest and it was go it went down to my knees. Golly, that's a back strap. One one back strap and it's probably oh, uh, I don't know. They're probably about five, six inches in diameter. So you imagine a deer backstrap, you know, they're even a big one's not like. You're looking at four or five pounds of meat right there. Oh, yeah, easy or more. Yeah. So anyways, uh, I cut the backstrap out and I smelled it. And on, on the two ends, the end on top of the hind quarter and the end on top of the front quarter, it just smelled like elk meat, but in the middle, the part that was on top of the rib cage, it had that that uh, dead animal smell. And I didn't want to risk it, you know, because uh, especially because I'm getting ready to leave, my family would be eating most of this, and I'd hate to put a bunch of meat in the freezer that's bad, and then them get sick while I'm gone. Right. And and also when I was peeling it out. I would say the meat temperature was probably at least 55 degrees. Mm. So, you know, and so now that we know what we know, as soon as the hair was slipping, I was like, damn it, dude, this dead, this bull was dead the first day. I know he was dead. hundred percent. Yeah. Probably within hours after I shot him. So, um, so how exactly how far away is this from where you've, initially shot him 324 yards oh my gosh so you know without looking at the satellite imagery and all that stuff it's hard it, it sounds like oh it was just 300 yards away why didn't you find it you know that's and, a, it's a lot of work oh, yeah. to get that 300 <laughs> yards it took you three days to get that 300 a 300 yards. yard track is a big track yeah and and the worst you know the worst part about the whole thing is uh, I went back and I had turned my tracker on on Onyx when my, Tony and I initially went down looking for it, and we walked within 60 yards of him. <sighs> and just, it's so thick in there, man. I, I just can't describe to you how hard it is. You can only see maybe 20 yards around you because um, you're on a hill and you're in that reprod. And, yeah, so I... I I uh, peeled that backstrap out, and I knew if the backstrap was gone, the whole thing's gone. So, um, and it sucked, man. Like, uh, I know 
you guys have seen the pictures. You can see the size of that elk with me knelt down next to him, cutting the back open. It was a big animal. I, I think he was probably 700 pounds at least. He was that's, huge. That's a big elk. I mean. Yeah, he was and, he was very big. You got you to show there to the uh, Under Pressure Outdoors Nation group. We'll, we'll get some of your photos when we post this. Uh, when this episode comes out, we'll share some of those with it too. Okay. Um, oh, so you, yeah, you're, you're more than welcome to post it and just let them know that we recorded one and it'll be coming out. Yeah. But man, you know, that's, that's one of those things like you, you, you have to, for nothing than your own sanity, exhaust every effort you can to try and find your, your wounded game, because that's one of those things like I understand and I, and I'm sure you feel the same way I do. I know you lost the meat and that really sucks because that's when it comes down to it, that that's your payload. That's what you're there for. The antlers are nice, but I don't, I, I, I never shot some of the, some of the big bucks I've killed. And I, I've never said, heck yeah, dude, <clears throat> let me load up these antlers. Uh, I might come back for this meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know what we talked about that in camp too, because we, we, you know, it, in the conversations in camp, almost one hundred percent of the time revolved around this bull and what all the all the possibilities, right? So, what I, I was talking to my buddies at camp about this, and I what I told them is that like the the antlers, I'm happy I recovered them. It'll be a cool euro mount to go on my wall. I, I couldn't be a full mount because the hair was slipping already. Right, but. You know, the antlers are the smallest portion of why I do this. You know, I, the meat, of course, is huge, a huge percentage, but another large percentage of why I like to do this elk hunting thing is because elk camp is so much fun. The fellowship and the, you know, getting together with the boys and, and all that stuff is just as important to me as, you know, and the experience also, like, going on those long walks through the woods and you see so many critters and you see rubs and you kind of go on this, this journey of, you know, seeing sign and trying to track them and all this stuff. And it, that is as, as mo- important to me as, as the antlers at the end of the day. Those antlers are a tale of persistence. Yeah, whether it, for sure. What, whether you look at it from the the aspect that it took you three years just to get those antlers, and almost it's kind of fitting. It took you three years to get those antlers and three days to find them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you and made those connections. Yeah. So that's my that's the first elk I've ever killed, and it is a giant Roosevelt bull. It's it's a uh, you know five on five on each side. So our our tags are about. The piece of paper that you know the tag is on it's probably about i don't know i'm gonna say it's probably four and a half to five inches long when i wrapped it around the beam on the bottom it wouldn't touch itself Golly. i mean i i could barely i could barely touch my f- fingers together when i grabbed onto that the base there where of the horn i could barely touch my fingers together you just a super heavy horn or heavy antlered and um just just a a fine fine example of a a good herd bull 
you know, and I, I, I'm super happy to have found it. And I put a lot of work and time into finding him and, and learning about him and all that stuff. And yeah, man, it was, there was just a lot of different emotions that I went through as this roller coaster of highs and lows, you know, and luckily it ended on a base. It ended on a high I'll say, because I'm still happy to have the antlers, but, um, I, I almost threw in the towel the night before my buddy leaf came back out and we went out and found it. If I was by myself, I don't know if I would have went in there honest, if I'm honest, because I was just so I was beat down for, uh, mentally, uh, physically, uh, physically, I was still okay pretty much, but, uh, but mentally I was just beat down, you know, from trying so hard to find this guy. And it just, yeah, you start to beat yourself up a little bit at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. In a big way, you know, and I, I, and of course I want the meat and of course I want to recover the antlers, but as much as any of the other things, I just felt bad that I wounded something and I'm, and now I've just killed a, a herd bull. That's not going to breed anymore for no reason, you know, that, and I got nothing except for an experience out of it, you know? Yeah. And that's not that's not my style. There's a lot of guys in Washington, unfortunately, who would have quit the second day and went and found another bull and shot a different bull. <clears throat> I was prepared. If I didn't find this bull, I was going to notch my tag anyways, and I was going to hang it up because I feel like that would be the right thing to do. That's definitely the sportsman-like thing to do. That's a I, tough – that's a really tough thing to do, though. But yeah. it, it's – when you know you've made a oh, fatal shot, yeah. eventually it, it's going to die. Mm-hmm. I, to me, that would make it an you easier have, thing to do. You've, you've taken your part from the resource, whether you find it or not. Right. Yeah. And the, the average, the general success rate for elk hunters in Washington State is 10%. Really? 10% of the hunters... Each year, kill bull. Hmm, that's not very high. Because no, and it's because, <laughs> like I said, they live in that thick, right? That, that timber and that thick stuff, and you just can't. You know, we don't have a lot of open woods like you guys have back east, or like they have in Montana, or like they have in Idaho, or wherever else where the Rocky Mountain elk are. We just don't have that. It's all thick and nasty. You know, though, some things to keep in mind when you're when you're talking about that, and I I think back to the the first first deer I ever shot with a bow. Um, it was a doe, and it has a happy ending. I was able to recover the meat, but I lost blood. It's a very 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 thick uh, privy edge the night I shot her, and I couldn't get myself. It was dark. I couldn't crawl, crawl in there on my hands and knees and find her because I didn't have a very bright. My flashlight was dying. And I said, you know what? Uh, I called the game warden uh, because the area that I was hunting in was closed the next day. Called the game warden and said, hey, I shot this deer. Uh, I know she's dead. Um, but I, I, I can't find her tonight because my flashlight's dead. I, I'd lost blood at the edge of this thick stuff. You know, He's like, well, you can come back in the morning. I'll come help you find her. I was like, okay, sweet. 
So he's going to come escort me back into this closed area and allow me to search for my doe. Well, he wasn't able to make it out that morning, uh, but he granted me permission to go in on my own. Um, I went back to where I lost blood the night before. I left a piece of uh, flagging tape, tied it to the last like briar bush right next to where I saw blood, and I went from there. I searched in that privy hedge for, he said, you got an hour and a half to find her. I searched in there for an hour, and I couldn't make my way through it. I said, you know what? I got 30 minutes left. What have I got to lose? So I said, screw this. I'm not going through it. I'm going to go down and go around it, and I'll come into it from the backside. So I walked about 100 yards down, came around 30, 40 yards deep, came back to where I was, which is really the the depth of the preview hedge at that point was maybe 50 yards. And, uh, and um, I... Uh, got to the back side of that privy hedge and there she was graveyard dead. But oh. had I just quit or kept going the way I was going, not try to find another way <laughs> that that could have been a bit. Let's take a break real quick. Some things to keep in mind when you've wounded deer or wounded an animal. And we kind of touched on this when we talked about what with, uh, what was the gentleman's name? the, tracking deer with dogs jeremy west jeremy west to go back the next day and look for an animal doesn't necessarily mean you lost the meat even if it's hot because the meat doesn't Ooh. start to spoil until the animal is dead when the heart stops pumping it stops putting oxygenated oxygenated blood into the meat that's when things start to spoil so you could have made a bad shot and that's not what we want to do we don't want to make bad shots we want to make good clean shots and find animals dead you know within 100 yards but it happens if you persist to be in the woods you will eventually make a shot make a bad shot i've lost deer with a bow uh, i've shot deer with a rifle that i know lived not not a bad shot and i lost a deer with a rifle but shot a deer how many years ago to shoot that doe where i shot her mean quarter away from me and skinned her shoulder up good but i know she didn't it wasn't was not a fatal hit. Oh, that one where I was like, man, there's some hair, but there's no blood. Right. Yeah, man, that was a while back. That was a long time ago. Um, it happens. The jitters get the best of everybody. But the deer, yeah. it, it doesn't spoil until the animal's dead. So you, you could be a day and a half in before the animal dies. You could have easily have found that elk two days later. And the meat had been fighting because he's only been dead for eight hours. And yeah, he died in yeah. the middle of the night, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just for perspective for elk, like last year, my cousin shot a bull with a rifle, like a, a big caliber rifle, and it made a pretty good hit, and they didn't find it either. Somebody else found it like four days later. So, uh the the bottom the moral of the story is that t- elk are tough animals, man. They and they they don't bleed a lot. It's like, you know, you have to really make a good shot in the uh, like a double lung or something like that. And even then, you know, their hides so thick that they might bleed for a little bit, and it might just co- coagulate, and then you're not on blood anymore. The only animal I can think of in the wild that's really not tough is a rabbit. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could you could shoot a squirrel and that sucker will crawl, crawl through five different trees for it. Dude, I, I shot a squirrel one time that that had like a oh, you gang shot with a green, seven millimeter oh eight. A gang green heel a gang green healed up front leg that had been blown off. With a seven millimeter oh eight, like from weeks before. And it was it was still alive. Yeah. But Crazy. a rabbit, I mean, I've killed rabbits with a slingshot shooting. armadillos you can smack them in the face with a stick and well they're as tough as they aren't tough <laughs> they're armored where they are and they aren't where they aren't yeah um but uh, uh rabbits are super thin skinned and you can literally scare them bad enough to give them a heart attack it's a defense mechanism <laughs> yeah they'll just die instead of being eaten alive which i guess is better they have better alternative but yeah. <laughs> Regardless, um, but wild animals in general are tough. I mean, you you see videos. Well, just today in the dang group, the Under Pressure Outdoors Nation group, Steve Miller posted that photo of a He's buck. Christian. Was it Steve Christian? Mm-hmm. Posted that photo of a buck with the arrow sticking out of its shoulder. <laughs> That's wild, man. So, just toting that arrow around like it wasn't nothing. Yeah. But it's sad to think that that deer probably eventually will die from that. That's a very long, drawn out. Could. If it gets infected, you're looking at yeah. infection and you know, stuff yeah, like but that. Yeah, you think, too, there's deer that, I mean, Dad's got a, uh, a That deer's vertebrae. dead. Huh? That deer was dead. When he found it? Yeah, Al shot it with a bow. Killed oh, yeah, it instantly. Right. But there's still people that kill deer all the time. And find broadheads. That I say there's a over there's a photo out there with the rib cage of a deer with a part of an arrow shaft and the broadhead stuck between several ribs and the bone had just has just grown grown over the arrow shaft. Yeah, and yeah. all that. You know, it, you said toting an arrow, and it made me remember uh, I was stationed at Fort Drum up in upstate New York, and right outside of our uh, police station there was a turkey that had an arrow sticking through it and he had been alive apparently for like two years somebody shot him like right in the middle of the body and he had the arrow sticking out both sides of him and he just like like nothing even happened you know he just walked he like just can't get living. he can't get into thick stuff <clears throat> that's all <laughs> yeah he gets hung up on stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's crazy man how stuff works out but we got your story out, and then uh, Jordan's got quite the story of persistence to tell. Yeah, man, I was about ready to give up on that hunt. I tell you, so I had uh, luckily pulled a quota permit for a local area that I had been told was good, Reedy Creek. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Reedy Creek WMA. Uh, so. I went out there. I so let me <clears throat> let me preface this for those that don't know. Reedy Creek is the uh, it's Disney. It's yeah, it's Disney. It, it, yeah. Reedy Creek Fire Department, Reedy Creek, all that area around Disney. If it has to do with like the city of Disney, it's called Reedy Creek. Yeah. <laughs> so now you get the humor if you're not from Florida and understand. Yeah. <laughs> Reedy Creek Wildlife Management Area. Really good deer in there. Yeah. 
Just be careful. <laughs> there just, are just really be careful. good deer in Disney, by the way. Just be careful crossing the moat. And I say that with all seriousness because Disney, if you didn't know, is surrounded by a moat. Yeah. Oh, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> it most definitely is. <laughs> so I pulled this hunt, and then uh, I had a buddy that had hunted the hunt last year. He had the muzzleloader hunt. And I'd done a little bit of e-scouting, and he's like, hey... I'd picked out an area that I thought, like through my e-scouting, I said, this area looks like it's probably pretty good. So uh, I get with him and he sends me some pens and me and him go out there together and we end up going to the same area that I picked out via e-scouting. So we wander around in there and I'm like, he tells me time and time again, he's like, dude, just wait till we get here. He's like, there is so much sign it's unbelievable. He's like, everything looks great. I'm like, ah, you know, yeah. So we get out there in the woods. I'm like, okay, these these woods look, these look good, man. And then we get to walking in the woods, and everything is just super, super, super wet. I'm like, oof, you know, is all this sign pigs? There's definitely pigs out there for sure. There's a lot of them. Um, or is it deer? But there are just trails everywhere. I mean, every single transition area you come to, there's trails. You find decent spots where you think stuff would travel through in the woods. It's just straight cattle trails everywhere. So I set a trail camera, go out, and, you know, I come back like a week and a half, two weeks later, check it, and uh, I find another spot that I think's better, and I find a good. Is that a seven point or a six point deadhead I found? It was seven. The big shed? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch point. our TikTok or anything, yeah. Uh, a big six point deadhead. And uh, I come across an area that's got some even more sign, but it's still within the same vicinity of the essentially like little hardwood head. Because this whole like WMA, there's a lot of pines, but intermittent in these pines are like hardwood heads. I mean, it could be like a huge planted pine thing right in the middle of it, hardwood head. So it was just on the other side of this hardwood head. I find all this stuff and then I, uh, I hunt there. I end up checking my camera and there's nothing on my camera. Um, but I end up finding somebody else's camera and I'm like this this some bitch done put a camera right next to mine and I'm like <laughs> I'm you know cussing somebody in my own head and then uh I get a text from a buddy and he's like hey that's my camera I'm like oh you got you got to preface that with saying you posted something to social media yeah I did I posted it on a, a local hunting page and uh, I'm like hey if you got this on your camera uh send me a text right I want to figure something out and I'm thinking like this motherfucker done set his camera next to me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wasn't really upset about it. I mean, I was in my head, but in the big picture, I wanted to figure out, you know, how we were both going to hunt that area. Well, public land's public land. It's just much your yeah. spot as it is theirs. That's what I was saying. I just wanted to figure out how we were both going to hunt that area. Like, where, did, where do you plan to hunt in there? And my buddy's like, yeah, I got pictures of you coming in to set your camera. And I'm like, damn, now I'm the asshole. Right? Like, <laughs> I didn't even see your camera on my way in. Um, but anyways, my camera doesn't work for some reason. Um, so 
I end up just hunting that area, and it's a 16-day long hunt. So I hunt the first weekend. Uh, I hunt a little bit during the week that next week. Uh, I skip a weekend, and then I hunt a little bit more during the week. And then, Not to mention, this is on your way home from work. Yeah. That you drive past this area. Yeah. So, but this whole time, man, I mean, I'm telling you, these it's tough because these woods just look good. The woods look great. And the guy that I got hunting with me for most of the time, um, I'm telling him, I'm like, listen, but I'm, I'm just gonna, he's a, he's a smart guy, uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, he gave me the area and everything, but he's in a lock on and I'm in my hang free saddle and everything. And I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to set all day. And he's like, ah, man, you know, I want to get down and, and we had both rode in in my truck. So then I could feel kind of pressure to get down. And I eventually, so Saturday morning, I end up, you know, after we, we did the whole podcast with Van from Hang Free and everything. And I had kind of picked out another area during that podcast. So I moved to that area and I find some sign. Well, it's a really good area. So I set up there Saturday morning. Well, my buddy that I had on my guest permit with me. Uh, that had been hunting the whole time, had a toothache, so I took him home. Well, I called up another, but my buddy Cole called him up. And what? Like, what kind of excuse? <laughs> <clears throat> I trust never me. in my adult life. What I and this this is a uh, what's his name? Cody. Cody. Yeah. Cody. Yeah. He's like, hey, listen. My tooth is absolutely killing me. And he says that in the morning and I'm like That sounds like yeah. that sounds so like it, more it, of like a... first thing in the morning he says it and I'm like Shit. I'm gonna end up having to take him home. He's like I got a toothache. I said, I got a BC powder. <laughs> exactly. There's ibuprofen in the truck, bud. Load up. <laughs> so his toothache gets so bad he offers, he's like, Man, I would Uber home, but it's like hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> Uber home from the tree stand. That's fucking. He said, "Here's seventy five bucks." Was this before or after he killed his buck? After. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's what it was. He's already got his high end. Yeah. Uh, But I give it to him. He told me he was like, "Hey, man, listen." He was like, "Listen, I've seen deer in here." He's like. I would suggest that you continue hunting the area that we started in. And I'm like, man, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know. So I call Cole. Cole comes out and uh, we go back to the area where I originally started. And I hunt kind of near Cody's set. And Cole hunts on the other side on where like, uh, so FWC is allowed uh, you know, loggers to come in and they uh, third road all the pines in this place. So sporadically, there's landing areas. Well, the, Cole hunts this landing area with his climber and in the middle of this landing area is a big, a huge live oak. So he sees a spike out there. Uh, I don't know. I think- Which here in the, in the, uh, Mike in the in the deep southeast when it's got 
you know, two horn, we call that an 11 point. Go ahead, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a one on each side. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he sees this spike and he texts me. He's like, hey, uh, should I shoot it? I'm like, is it 10 inches on either side? He's like, no. He's like, more like six. And I'm like, man, you know, you shoot it, that's the day we're going to run into green jeans. Yeah. He's like, yeah, fair point. So uh, we finish up that hunt. We get out of there, and I'm like, no. Not to mention, that's your tag. No, my guest got one, too. My guest got a deer, and I got a deer. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's a hell of a deal. No kidding. Yeah. Most of the time when you hunt a, a management area down here like that, you're both hunting on the same set of tags. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, I asked Cole in the way. I'm like, you want to hunt in the morning? Cole's like, man, I can't. He's like, I don't know. I'm, I might. I'll let you know in the morning. So I didn't hear anything from Cole in the morning. And uh, I start heading to the woods. The funny thing is I forget to set my alarm that night I just fall asleep and I wake up and I'm like, as soon as I wake up, I'm like, shit, I forgot to set my alarm. I'm late. I wake up at like four 30, which is when I would generally set my alarm for. I'm like, <laughs> that was fate, buddy. Yeah. This is the Lord Jesus telling me I need to hunt this morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, I head out to the woods and I get there and you know there's one gate that you can come in from but once you get about you know down this shell road a little ways it splits into a fork you know it's like a four-way intersection and to go to this new spot that i had picked out where i saw a sign that i really liked i mean it was a really good looking area that that other area you kind of came through some pines and then there was what was probably at one time kind of like a swamp bottom that came through there but it was a real skinny one so it's it probably just like a, a drainage area really is what it was but there was no water so you i came in from the pines and once you got into that bottom it was just lush green grass there was no like under underbrush or anything you could see like far as shit through there so I'm thinking, man, this is good. Like, they may feed on this stuff. There's a lot of acorns in here. I can sit on the transition. I could sit on the transition area of the pines, see down that fire break, and I could see in all that stuff. I had plenty to look at. So I'm thinking, man, I really need to go back to the area because that's, that's, that's a pretty hot spot, in my opinion. That looked good. Uh, but something in my gut says go to where you've been hunting but but don't get in the woods um sit there's kind of like it's almost like another fire break but it's it's like where the logging equipment got back to that landing area so it's it's a road but it's all rutted up and it's like way overgrown so I get back in there. I I just kind of sit in my truck for a minute. I'm like, man, do I really want to be here? 
I'm like, yeah, you know what, Jordan, do it, go in. And then and first thing in the morning, I'm like, man, I shouldn't even pack. I'm tired. I mean, I mean I'm, on, I'm on day 16 of a 16-day hunt. I'm like, don't even bother packing your camera gear. Like, just go in and hunt. Something inside me says, you know what, pack your camera gear. It'll be all right. So I wander down this road, and I get far enough, and it starts to get kind of light-ish to where I don't really need my headlamp to see anymore, but it's still pretty dark. Uh, and I'm like, shit, I got to pick a tree. So I walk about another 20 yards and I see from where I'm standing, there's like a group of three, I guess they were like maple trees, but they all kind of came out of the same base and just kind of stayed tight to each other there. And I could see across, there was an open pine row across from me and they sat far enough out from the other pines where I could see both ways down that road and I could see behind me. And I was like, that's it. That's where I'm going. Yeah, I want to stop you right here. <clears throat> this ass also, this 16th day also happens to coincide with the one day we'd set aside to go. And there's five of us about to go on a muzzleloader hunt at the end of the month. We had set that day aside to go to a buddy's private range. And we're all going to side our muzzleloaders in. When's the last time you shot your muzzleloader? It's been a long time. 2000 and started with a single digit. Yeah, probably. No, no, no. Yes, no. probably. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, probably. Maybe. <laughs> uh, and that's more recent than I shot mine before I shot at that elk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's shooting like a, a CVA wolf. Uh, that when from when CVA first started making the wolf. Wow! Yeah, hundred percent. Solid piece of equipment. <laughs> uh, and so the other four of us show up out there, and uh, Jordan's like, "I don't, I don't think I'm gonna make it today." And. Uh, Behind your back when you're not there, I'm like this motherfucker. He going he come don't be asking me to help you blood trail no deer. You, I I know I made a good shot, uh, but good lord, man, I had a yeah, so e- easy time sighting my muzzler in last year. It was a pain in the ass this year. Not nearly as much as a pain in the ass as Larry's was. So when I when I text and say that I'm not going to make it, my other buddy, whose trail camera that I ran into. He texts me at 9 o'clock and says, uh, Hey, good eight point. Uh, where are you hunting? He said, I got a good eight point on cam. Where are you in the area you originally sat? Where are you hunting? So I drop him a pin on Onyx and send it to him. He's like, Ah, eh, that camera's about 500 yards from you. And he walked away from you. He said, I don't, I don't know that you're going to end up seeing him. He said, but where you, he said, the spot that you were hunting before, he's like, he's pretty damn close to there. I was like, son of a bitch, man. I, I told him, I said, I knew I should have sat that spot. I know it. I just knew it. So I'm sitting up there, you know, swinging like a wrecking ball in my saddle up there, just having a good time leaning one way, kind of leaning over here against this tree. And mind That's you, like- in that area <clears throat> in the Palmettos, there's like little finches. That that meme where it's like guys in a uh, guys in a saddle waiting on a deer and it's Pablo Escobar sitting on the swing. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, there's like little finches that get in the tree, in, in the palmettas around there. And you can, it sounds like a deer. Like the, the afternoon before you hear, chick, 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 chick. I'm like, deer, deer, deer. And then next thing you know, nothing comes of it. And you're like, damn birds. Because the longer you watch, the little bird pops out right there. So, 9 o'clock rolls around. He sends me that text message. I send William and then I said, listen, I got, there's a good 8 in my area. Or what I'm told, there's an 8 point in my area. Just pull up the text and read it. You got your phone. Mine's over here oh, providing yeah. the internet. I forgot about that. Uh, let's see. Spelled his name wrong. Here we go. Uh, I gotta go. He sent me all kinds of trail camp pictures and everything. I'm talking about where you sent us. The text you sent us in the group. Because you texted that to the group. Oh, I thought you were talking about... No, I'm talking about the group you when and what you texted us. In the Woodruff group? Yeah. When you talk about those finches making noise, it reminds me of uh, whitetail hunting in upstate New York in the fall and the hardwood stands and the squirrels running around in the leaves. Them things will trick the hell out of you. Yeah. Thinking that the deer's coming you walking. Know, I hate that because it, like, your heart gets it racing. It sounds exactly the yeah. same. Yeah, but no, no, but tell me tell me I'm wrong. And this goes to both of you. It hunted whitetail deer, and you hunt whitetail deer for a long time, and the squirrels still get me, and the birds get me. <laughs> right? But... When you hear a deer walking, it's almost like a light bulb comes on. You're like, yeah. wait a minute, that's not a squirrel. No, you immediately right. know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's easy to fool your bored mind when you hear a squirrel, you hear a bird, but as soon as you hear a deer, it's just fucking, just like that. You know for a fact that's a deer. Yeah. So I said. I'm gonna have to skip out, ladies. A good buck just popped up on my buddy's ca- on my buddy's cell cam about 200 yards behind me. What did I say after that? Uh, it's slightly illiterate, but it says, "Yeah, if you made <laughs> sure your muzzleloader was actually sighted in, that would make you way to prepare me for that hunt anyway." Yeah, way too prepared for that hunt. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to type uh, <laughs> that text message without all the cuss words I was saying while I was typing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, Alan, where's it at? It was something along the lines of this dumb beep. If he's not going to come out here, beep, and this and beep. and <laughs> Yeah. So, Josh was laughing, so was Larry. Alan texted me and said, uh, at 7.25, Sorry, I said 9 o'clock. 7.25 said, you guys back at it? I said, oh yeah. He said, I said, it's just me today. He said, up north, question mark? I said, nope, over here where I started. Be on the lookout. Just had a pretty nice eight on cam over there. So I sent him my pen. He said, uh, was close to the first spot you sent. I said, I moved to the road hoping to catch something crossing or utilizing it. Could end up over there. Over 500 yards uh, to the cam from where you are. And then uh, he said, I was told him I should move. And he said, I don't know. You would have, I don't know if you would have seen him, but he turned away from you for now. Sends me a picture of a pig. And then that was it. So 
I'm kind of talking back and forth with my buddy Cole on the phone. And uh, he's like, man, he's like, I'm going to come out for an afternoon hunt. When are you getting down? I said, I don't really know. He said, if I were you, I would sit till at least noon. And I said, oh, absolutely, yeah. I plan to sit till noon. This is like 9 o'clock. And uh, I'm like, I don't know, though, because I am cold as shit. Like, sitting up there. Mind you. Listen, it was it was frigid. It, it it was like sixty seven degrees. No, that morning. No, no, no. Out there in Silver Springs, with like if it it's, might have been sixty four. No, it was colder than the other mornings I had hunted, and I had because those were like seventy two, seventy five. I had seen fifty two, <laughs> so it was at least fifty to high forties, and uh, but it wasn't bad until the wind blew. The wind was real gusty. No, you're right. It was down in, in uh, I, I want to think that night, it got down to about 58 or 59 degrees yeah. here. At the and house, we're, so, yeah. we're, I was right on the edge of, pretty much right on the edge of a river. Right. So, you know, that temperature dropped a little lower around those rivers. Um, but when the wind blew is when it got, it really cut into me and got cold. I was like, I don't know, I may have to get down just to warm up. And I was just messing with him. He's like, no, nah, don't do that. So, but I want you to notice, Mike, that I'm in shorts and a t-shirt, and Jordan's wearing long sleeves and a sweater vest. Yeah, I see that. I'm not really. <laughs> this is just what I wore to work today. Uh, and it was 84 degrees today. I sit in an office. Please. I sit in an office. I wasn't, you know, out in the heat. Anyways, uh, so eleven, somewhere around eleven o'clock rolls around. And I hear this sound of the finch, like again, and I'm like, "This, I'm over there cussing this bird." I'm like, "I'm," because I've heard it several times. So I kind of look back there, and uh, I'm like, "You know what? Just let me, let me throw a grunt, right?" So I throw a little, get out my old hound's tooth that has more than us. Throw a little grunt. And then I keep hearing this, like walking somewhere. What on earth? And then I just overtop these palmettas behind me. And they're probably, probably a good 14, 15 foot tall palm tree. I could see just over the top of it, like through them. Uh, after I hear like a, I'm like, okay, that sounds like a deer. Because it, it was just like him exhaling or something. I don't know what he was doing. But I, I heard him exhale. And I'm like, that sounds like a deer. Doe or buck. I can shoot a doe in here, so I'm fixing a wax a doe too. And then through the palm trees, I see the top of his horns move. And I can see at least, you know, like three on each side through the horns. I'm like, shoot or buck, shoot or buck. So I'm over there fiddle farting my big camera, trying to get it going, and my the screen on it's not working, and uh, I give him another grunt just to try and keep him in the area. It just I, I I don't know if the grunts actually worked or not, but to me, they did. <laughs> right? I'm just in the moment, and uh, so he kind of disappears, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know where he's at, but I got my bow in my hand. And because I'm not a real big, uh, I love my saddle, but I'm, I'm new to saddle hunting. 
And the tree that I'm in, luckily, uh, like I said, it's a, a big, they all start from one base, but it's three that come up and I'm out in the furthest most. So there's two behind me. There's two trunks between me and that deer. You got plenty of cover to your rear. Yeah. Um, but luckily I got up in there in the morning and I had my bow in my hand and I kind of just held it out and swung it around and I trimmed just enough limbs off these other trees to where I could take my bow in other directions and it wasn't getting in the way of the bow. Um, so before I was really ready, he walks out and I'm like, Oh, piss. So he goes like coming through right where, right where I'd ranged at 30 yards comes out and I go to pull my bow back and I lose balance. Let's take a break real quick. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to play some of this audio real quick before I finish this up. So this is in the moment, uh, bucks walking out. I mean, this is right where I, I can act, I can physically see the whole deer at this point. So I got my grunt call out. wasn't going to use it. Here he's he's. I, I can actually see him now. So he stops and looks at me at this point. So there's more to it than that, but that's just the the minute and something that I've clipped out of it. But, uh, so what you hear there is he, when I say, Mah. I have my bow probably about quarter drawn. That's when I lose balance and the bow grows, goes back to undrawn. And he's looking at me this whole time. My release is still on the string and I catch the tree in front of me. And so while he's looking at me, I slowly draw my bow back. And then at the moment I get it back, I realize that I now have the bow at full draw. But to be able to swing the bow over to him, there's a tree that's in the way. So I have to like keep it full drawn, tuck the bow like to my chest, swing past this tree. And because I'm in the saddle... I'm now swinging to my right side, which puts my bridge and my tether underneath my left arm. That are uh, that you're, you're the, to the your arm, weak side. Yeah, I'm to my weak side. That's the the arm that's holding my bow. They're all like wrapped up, tangled underneath me. So I get over, and I'm like, man, I can't really get stable enough. As you know, as I'm switching in the moment. So I, that tree's there, and I just kind of lean. I get all kind of twisted up, and I lean against that tree to stable myself. And then I let go, you know, pull the trigger on the release, and arrow goes, smacks. When it hits, I'm instantly like, I was like, shit, that was a really low shot. Luckily, 
when it hit, I saw blood just go everywhere. I mean, it it was a bloodbath. It looked like somebody took a, like a solo cup and just flew flung blood everywhere when it hit. And when I say that, I'm going to say right now that everybody out there can talk all the smack they want about Rage Broadheads. But I have now shot three deer with Rage Broadheads. I shot this buck with a Rage Hypodermic. And I've yet to have to go over 80 yards to track a deer with any of those Rages. And so I shoot him, and it's low, and I start making all these phone calls. So let me jump in here. After cussing you up and down about not coming out to sight in your muzzleloader, uh, and us fighting to sight in muzzleloaders, Jordan calls me. I'm like, oh, maybe he's finally headed out this direction. I just shot. I just shot my first Florida buck. It's a fucking giant. It's a fucking giant. And uh, I'm like, that. That's actually, if you watch the TikTok, that's me calling you. I just, yeah. I call you and I'm like, dude, I just smoked a fucking hammer. Uh, and uh, I, I'm like, hey, that that's great. And I was like, uh, you know, you got blood. He's like, I, I, you know, it's a really low shot. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to call a dog. It's like, Hey, all right. Hey, if if you got, if you need to let him lay, I was like, uh, I'm not trying to like tell you, you need to do this, but, uh, you should just get down and drive over and pay the deposit on the cabin. We're going to use to hunt at the end of the month. I was because it's like, it was, it's like a 40 minute drive from where you are. 30 minute driver. So, so it'd give you an hour. Yeah. 30, 40 minutes. So give you an hour, hour and 20 minutes leaving the deer lay. Last thing I wanted to do is leave that WMA though, dude, after, cause so I, I, when I saw the buck, my first thought was, damn, that's a good buck. But everything, you know, even though you watch the video and it played out like almost two minutes in my head, everything felt like it played out in 15 seconds. Right. Right. So I knew that it was a good buck, but he, he, he looked like he was probably like a tall spindly eight. I, I didn't, till I got to the deer, I didn't realize what I had shot. Um, Jordan calls me, tells me he shot this deer. Time goes past. I'm still sighting in muzzleloaders, and I call him back. I'm like, you, you get down, look at your deer? No, I haven't got down yet. I said, you go look at the hit site? No, I haven't got I'm going to try and get a hold of a dog. I was like, he's like, well, I saw blood. I said, well, go look at where you shot the deer. If you've got a good blood trail going through the woods, you don't need a dog. I had already uh-huh. called. I had already called Jeremy at that point. Yeah, and I did. I did tell Jeremy. I was like, "Hey, listen, I haven't gotten down yet." I said, "But when I get down, I will let you know what I decided." I said, "I just want to let you know, in case I do, I might need you or somebody else to come out here. I'm just trying to give everybody a heads up. I don't want anybody to be delayed." And what did he say? He's like, all right, just when you get down, he said, when you look at the blood, send me a picture of blood. I'll see what you, we'll see what you think. So I told Jordan, I was like, get, just get down and go look at your blood. So he gets down after a while, and I FaceTimed him. And, he, and I was like, show, show me the blood. And, you know, in FaceTime, you can see the person in front of the phone, right? But when you try to look at things at a distance, it's not that great. It's grainy. We've all, we've all done a FaceTime before. When Jordan flipped that camera around, I was like, dude, that's a dead deer. Like, it's a grainy, and I can see the blood in FaceTime. That's a dead deer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I knew. Like, if you need yeah. me to blood trail the deer for you, just hold the phone in front of you. I'll tell you where the blood's yeah. at. Yeah, by the time, by the 
by the time I walked to the hit site, William's like, it's a dead deer. I was like, oh no, yeah, it's definitely a dead deer. I said, I'm, I can stand at the hit site and in the brown leaves, I could see 40 yards worth of blood trail. And it looked like somebody had just walked through there with like a six inch paintbrush, uh, maybe even bigger than it, maybe like a, a small broom and was just dipping it in a bucket of red paint and just flinging it at the ground. I mean, it was just blood everywhere. And so I'm like, yeah, I guess he's he's dead. So I go to walk into the trees, and I see White Belly finally. I think he may might have went 60 yards, maybe. Uh, I get to walk into the trees, and uh, I see White Belly, and by the time I get close enough to see what it is, I'm like, God, dude, like, beautiful buck. Nice mass. Uh, chocolate on, rack. Yeah, a dark chocolate rack. It's skinny, like William said, but it's real tall. Um, one of his brow tines is split into two. So he's got two brow tines on one side, and then he's got a, probably a three-inch sticker before his G2, and then, you know, his G3 and his everything else on that side six on one side yeah six on one side and four on the other i was oh dude <laughs> i mean to say ecstatic to the least man I, I to be honest for a solid hour uh the only adjective i could find to express how excited i was was fuck <laughs> so i have a question for you uh, how does it feel to know that um, it's, I guess at this point, next to impossible for you to kill a typical eight-point buck? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I I knew it. As soon as I saw it, I said to myself, I was like, man, you just cannot... I can't. I can't stay away from abnormal racks. What's that, what's that freak show you got in the living room? How many points is he? Twelve. Twelve. Freak show of a twelve point. It, it's uh, how many points you got? Th- that one wicked spike side that has like a fourteen inch brow time. It's got three, three on one side, and the rest of them are on the other side. <laughs> yeah. I got Mike. I, I got to send you a picture of this buck. It is the the ugly, gnarliest looking. Thing. I had to get it shoulder mounted because it just like a uh, uh, a European doesn't do that buck. That buck, Mike, had zero teeth left in its mouth. I mean, it was just an age-old warrior. Crazy. I mean, when he says a spike, William's talking like his spike on either side. You could kill a man with it. His spike on either side is a bladed horn that's about as as wide as mine. His his bladed horn is probably three inches wide on either side. That's pretty crazy. I, uh... It seems to be when I kill old deer, they just hit the real downhill side. Like that old bolt over there that five point i shot yeah. not a tooth in his head five point <laughs> spindly horns old old buck years last year the six point i shot last year old six six and a half year old buck uh was he a six point five point six point he might have been a six or a seven i think it was a wicked lead. wicked rack at least a six wicked uh messed up looking rack uh shot an old doe that was like six and a half years old not a tooth in her head I just can't, even the first, I shot a deer at, like, I shot a nice 
my first half decent deer, I think I shot it 14. And even him, he had just weird, like his horns were all whoopty and they did all kinds of loops. And I can't stay away from the crazy deer, but this one, man, this deer just meant more to me than any deer I've ever shot. I, I have been deer hunting for, I'm 28. I'd be willing to say I've been deer hunting for the better part of 20 years of my life. Uh, I've probably been in the stands for more than 20 years. And out of everything I've ever shot in my life, this deer has meant more to me than anything. Because I've spent, ever since we started this podcast, I've just done everything I can to try and harvest something on public land. And, I, you know, even the whole time I'm like, public land, if it's legal, I'm shooting it. It's dead. Right? And for three years, I just didn't... That opportunity never came for me. Um, and I probably didn't hunt as hard as I really should have. Um, but I gave it a better effort than most people. That buck I shot last year was the first buck I've ever killed in Florida. Yeah. And um, I was kind of of the same mentality you are. Like a legal deer's legal deer. And I remember when that buck stepped out, you said, he's got three points on one side. And I said, he's got a 10-inch main beam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you're looking at the one side that had three points, and I'm looking at the one side that's pretty much just a main beam. Yeah. Uh, and I shot him with a muzzleloader at about 60, 75 yards. He didn't go, but 50 or 60 yards. And, you know, when I say... And mind you, you know, I say that, Mikey, we were literally closer together in our two separate climbers last year when I shot that buck than we are, well, probably table. about the same distance yeah, right now. Yeah. yeah, We're across the table from each other. Yeah. <laughs> in two separate pine trees right next to each other. It's uh, pretty wild. Yeah, it, that was a fun hunt, too. Um, we're going to be on that hunt again this year. That's going to be another I'm looking fun. forward to it. Um, but, man, I just tell you that I just gave it so much effort this year. I mean, I was there. I was out opening morning. I was out that whole weekend. I scouted, you know, weeks. I, I started scouting months before the season opened. Um, I was just doing everything. I mean, to me, failure was not an option this year. I was going to kill something. And I started in bow season because I knew that if I genuinely wanted to kill something, that I was going to have to start early. Like, you know, this permit uh, really opened it a lot for me. You picked it up on a redraw. I did. Yeah. Not a phase one, not a phase two, just a random redraw Yeah, on a weekend. I actually saw somebody post on Facebook the other day ragging that same WMA. Said there ain't shit in it. Hey, it's cool. There's yeah. not shit in there. Yeah, there's nothing not, in the WMA. Not anymore, there's not. <laughs> yeah. No, there's still good deer in it. Uh, there was a lady, uh, people, a couple that lives a couple blocks from me. Uh Benny and his, I forget his wife's name, but Benny's wife killed a good buck out there that day too. But man, just to like, 
I don't know. I, I didn't know how to react. Like I had finally accomplished. I still, to me, it's, it just doesn't feel real. I, I had finally accomplished what I had. And I, I know, I'm sure you felt the same way. Like when you made your shot, like to feel that something that you had worked so hard for, for so long, you finally accomplished that goal. Like I have killed so many deer over the years, like tons none have ever made me feel the way that buck made me feel when I, when that arrow hit that buck, the feeling within my soul was completely different than anything I've ever felt. I definitely feel that man. Like the, I said, I've, I said, this is my third year. Well, the second year, which was last year, I was chasing the same elk this year that I was chasing last year. It's not, it's not like, you know, it's different animals. It's the same herd that I bumped into last year because they were in the same exact area. So I definitely feel that because I was, you know, I spent so much, I've just like you, I put so much time into those exact animals and finally made it happen. I killed <clears throat> my first public land deer in 2012, 21 years old. We grew up hunting primarily private property. And then I joined the Army and started hunting Fort Campbell, which is public land open to anybody. Killed that doe that I talked about earlier. And then two, three weeks later, I killed the eight point that's sitting back here on top of the fridge. And after I killed that eight point... I turkey hunted that that following spring and I found a lot of sheds and every single shed that I found on Fort Campbell had five points on one side. And when I picked up a shed that literally like that deer couldn't have had more than an eight inch inside spread had five points on one side. I said, I will never shoot another eight point on this base again, unless it's an absolute monster. Yeah, I mean, you could shoot a 180-inch A-point. Right. Well, you talk about, like, <clears throat> I'd have shot the six-point that... Uh, Corey shot. Corey shot. <laughs> That's a freaking stud of a six yeah. out, of, out of Mexico. Um, but you know what I mean? I, I'm not going to shoot any regular run-of-the-mill A-point. It, it's going to have to be 9, 10, or better. And then I went on 2000... That was 2012 when I shot that A-point. 2000 and... 13, I missed the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life with a bow at 30 yards. <clears throat> and at that point, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill a big one out here. I, I'm not just going to settle for anything. I'm going to kill a, I'm going to kill a big one. And I watched a, a buddy kill a big deer out of an area. And then I persistently hunted in that area because I knew there were more, I knew there was a bigger buck in there because the buck that he killed that was big had half of its rack busted off. I was like, if that big buck has half its rack gone, there's a bigger one. And, uh, I hunted that same spot consistently for the majority of that deer season. And persistence paid off. 
and I killed a 13 point down on that bottom. We had to drag that buck two and a half miles. Yeah. There are things I would have changed about how we got that deer out of the woods now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me, me and Cole had to drag my buck probably three quarters of a mile. Yeah, that's, that's a long drag. Yeah. And do some, do mud. Right. I mean, <laughs> but in all of it, you know, I, I we started this episode and I, I wrote at the top of my sheet here where I write down all these edits where I'm going to go back and cut things out of the podcast. I wrote hunting stories. When in reality, this whole thing has been a story of persistence. That's definitely what it was for me, for sure. Can we take a quick break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's take a quick break. I got to piss anyway. So I, I think one of the things that made it so sweet for me is that even being so early in the season, having gone, you know, those two years without actual success, I was to the point to where I just felt discouraged. I was like, it's, I'm going to be one of those guys where I'm like, five ten years into public land hunting and being like i've never harvested my first public land animal right i was discouraged i I had not seen through the whole 16 day hunt i had not seen a single deer dude i i was to the point to where i was like i don't know I, i i don't i don't know what i'm doing wrong i walked myself into the woods uh the morning before that morning and I was telling myself, and I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I am just walking in here like, this looks good, and I think I should hunt here. And I think that's just me psyching myself out, because I knew that morning, I said, when I, when I finally killed the deer, I said to myself, Jordan, you need to stop hunting in the woods and hunt on this road like on the edge of the woods like this deer uh, for some reason something just told me these deer are going to move like i you know i'd hunted transitions everything and i guess technically that road's a transition 100 percent. yeah the road's a transition but something just told me that hey you need to get to a little bit more open area than being in the woods you know something that something that elk hunting has taught me is that we, it doesn't matter what kind of hunting you're doing. You have this idea of what it's supposed to be, and then you go do it, and you have to you have to be willing to let the sign or the animals or the area or whatever it is, you have to be willing to let something else steer you in another direction than the way that you envision it or the way that you think it's supposed to be. <clears throat> because the fact of the matter at the end of the day is the critters are going to be where the critters are going to be because that's where they want to be. So yeah. you could want it to happen a different way all day long. And, it, you know, you could want it to look like you're watching Eastman's or something like that. But at the end of the day, like when we're hunting public land, uh, and especially when you only have a limited number of days, you just have to let the sign and what the critters are telling you, you have to let them guide you. Because if you try to do it your own way and you try to stick to a plan or something, a lot of times you're just going to end up eating tag soup because because you're not following that, you know, those indicators. 
one of the hardest things for me to overcome when it came to learning to hunt public land because hunting public land and hunting private land are two very different ball games, right? Hundred percent. One of the hardest things for me to overcome was walking into an area and going, "Oh, this looks like a good spot." <laughs> because on private land, you can look around and you. Go, this is a good spot, and you're probably going to see deer there because they're not as pressured as they're on public land. You do that. On public land, <clears throat> this, is, this looks like a good spot. It can look like a good spot all you want it to, but if the sign is not there telling you the deer are in that quote-unquote good spot, it's not a good spot. Yeah. And, and then, I can't tell you how many hours, countless hours I've wasted sitting in a quote-unquote good spot and seeing nothing. So my you, biggest, you want, But my, hang, on, hang on. You want to talk about feeling like, you 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 fucked up. You, you're a failure. Two, maybe three days prior. It's, it's in the same. I had a long four or five days that I hunted before I killed that. Consecutively before I killed that 13 point. Just prior to that. I had a big, non-typical 11. I think he was an 11 point. 10 or 11 point. And I'm talking the majority of those 10 or 11 points were on one side of his rack, just all over the place. One side was typical. The other side was just like, take your hand and stick your fingers in all directions. That's how the points went. That buck came up on me, stopped at 30 yards. And I said, I'm not going to shoot him. Then he walked off and I said, you know what? If I can rattle him back, I'll shoot him. And I rattled my antlers. He ran right back to 40 yards. And I was like, I'm going to kill him. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I had one buck tag. I watched that deer come and go, come and go. And when that deer walked away, I said, I fucked up. I should have shot that deer. Good thing I didn't. Yeah. Because it, and there was, there was that, that little, that, uh, the, the little man in the back of my head was like, Hey, you're sitting on top of the ridge. You, I could hear bucks fighting in the bottom. And I was seeing the bucks that were coming out of the bottom. And the little man in there was saying, hey, that's the loser. Yeah. You're looking at the loser. And I got off that ridge, went down to the bottom, and killed that 13 point. Yeah. I was in the stand 30 minutes when I shot that deer. I would say there's one thing about hunting... Uh, I don't know if it, it plays the same factor out there with elk and everything, but at least with public land, this side of the Mississippi, I would say that there are a lot of people that try to be too conservative. What do you mean? When it comes to like, like you said, you knew they were fighting in that bottom. There's a lot of people who are like, well, you know, maybe that's where they're betting. I want to stay away from that. Right. There's a lot, but it is not a problem to get in the middle of the action. It's not a problem to chase that deer down. Like, you know, I had never jumped this buck or anything, but I've heard, I've heard like your buck that you shot last year. We jumped him, sat in the exact same spot where we jumped him. Two days later, you shot him. Don't think that just because you've jumped the deer there that you can't hunt there. Or don't think that, you know, just because there's a, a lot of, deer movement in an area that if you get down in there that you're going to spook them out of that area you're not the first one you won't be the last especially on public land yeah 
but it's not it's 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 not hard to feel defeated on public land either i think that's one of the biggest things for a lot of people that hunt public land because i've i've been that way and i'm still even after this high of shooting that buck i'm now thinking like my thought process is how are you going to make it happen again yeah how, how can i do it again i get that that's that's the biggest thing in the back of my head right now is can i do it again you think you can do it again like well uh yeah, I do. Um, I spent a lot of time before I actually found the elk. I spent a lot of time walking through a bunch of areas where I was finding sign, you know, rubs and tracks and scat and all this other stuff. Uh, the thing that makes it hard here, and I, I don't mean to sound like I'm one-upping you guys or anything like that, but the thing that really makes it hard here is that no matter what species you're talking about, uh, well, Bears, bears different, but deer and elk, you get one choice of which season you want to hunt. You have to pick bow, you have to pick muzzleloader, or you have to pick rifle, and we get one deer or one elk. So it really pigeonholes you into, like, you really have to put your time into, like I have, walking through all that timber and finding the sign and figuring out, you know, some, some patches of timber have a little bit of sign, but you can tell the spots where they are all the time. And just because you go in there and they're not there, if you see all that sign and it's, you know, even within the last four days, you know that they're going to be back there because they just do loops basically from one patch of timber to another out to a clear cut. And they just keep doing that same thing. So I would say uh, I'm going to elk hunt next year. Um, I'm going to try my hardest, but I, if, it's going to be a lot harder for me to kill a elk two years in a row because like I said, the, the success rate's 10% across all hunters. Um, there's way more hunters than there are elk. And, you know, like I, like I said earlier, those elk just live in such thick crap that just, you know, I, I'm going to try my hardest, but I don't know. Um, you know, I, my confidence level isn't super high either, and I just killed a really nice bull, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, it's tough. If you can do it two, if, if you can do it twice in the same season or if you can do it two years in a row, like, you've done something. Or you, you, you kind of know what you're doing at that point. Or at least people think you do. Maybe it's just right. luck, but... <laughs> I'd like to think it's probably a lot of luck for me, but you know, I, I had picked out a good area. Um, as much as I downed myself about it, um, it was the first area that I had picked out e-scouting. Uh, and just because I wasn't seeing stuff. I mean, also, you know, I wasn't seeing stuff, but I was sitting in, you know, 90 degree weather. The first day that we saw low 50s was when... <laughs> Right. Something finally moved. We, uh, well, I mean, we're, we're about two hours in. Let's, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah. You guys got any closing thoughts? I would just say that I'm super thankful for the opportunity that I had to kill that bull. Um, obviously, it could have went better, but my hard work paid off. You know, I, I bumped, I found those elk last year and I couldn't get a shot at them and, uh, then I, this year I, I just kept, 
I stayed persistent and I didn't leave that same area. I went back to the same exact area and mind you, it's four and a half hours away from my house. Right. So it's not like I, I, it's not easy for me to just go scout it at different times of the year and see where the elk are and where they're moving around or anything like that. I, you know, it's a, you got to make a trip out of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an all weekend thing when I do it. So, um, yeah, I'm just grateful. I'm thankful to God that he put me in the place where he did and he put the critters where he did at the time he did. And, um, when I come back from my deployment, hopefully I can get on another one. That's awesome. Jordan, what do you got? Persistence pays off, man. And, uh, don't beat yourself up. Put boots on the ground and, uh, you'll get there. It'll happen. As long as you put the time in, put the boots on the ground, you'll get there. A lot of people quit. It's easy to give up. Take take the road less traveled and uh, keep on keeping on. That wasn't what I thought I would kill for my first public land deer, but that's a that's a damn fine buck. Yeah, damn fine Florida buck. Mike, thank you for joining us, man. Uh, I appreciate you having me. <clears throat> but uh, I really do. Yeah, but that was a beautiful elk. I'm I'm glad you at least recovered your antlers. Yeah, it's it's bittersweet, you know. Um, like I said earlier, I I really am thankful for being able to have the opportunity, and of course, I would have loved to take the meat home. But at the end of the day, I didn't quit. I kept on it. Um, I almost did, but. Uh, my buddy really helped uh, be the be the guy in my ear that I needed to to make me keep doing it, you know. And it paid off, and we found it. So good deal, very good. We'll catch you guys next week. Adios. Later. <laughs>